turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to look at chapter 22. We're going to camp out in that chapter a little bit. So Acts 22. Um, the way that this study sort of came together is uh, different titles of Christ in the book of Acts. And then we see it throughout the different um, epistles as we look forward to his return. So we find ourselves in Acts 22, and we're going to look at this title, The Just One. Um, and it's just so exciting to think of Jesus' second coming, right, when he'll be able to just exercise all this justice and this judgment, and we will be with him forever and be like him. So let's read the first 16 verses in the book of Acts. Um, why don't we do this? Why don't we stand? We'll read these first 16 verses. We'll pray and we'll continue. So verse 1, chapter 22 of Acts. Brethren and fathers, or I should say sisters and mothers, <laughs> hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamiel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Verse four, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Verse 6. Now it happened. It reminds me of what had happened was, right? Now it happened. As I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. Verse 10. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Verse 12, then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. And here's our key verse, verse 14. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the just one. God, we thank you for the ways that you've appeared in our lives with your great light, Lord. And you've made us new. And I pray you will continue speaking to us tonight. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Justice. It's not a human invention. It's not a human concept. It is the very nature of God. The only reason that we as people have even a sense, however limited, of justice is because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, right? And even before he dwells in us, when we don't have that relationship with him, he's still convicting us. That was our promise in John 16, that he convicts the world of sin. John 16, specifically verses 8 through 13, speak of this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So that's the only reason human beings can even have, however small, and these days it's getting smaller and smaller, a sense of right and wrong and what true justice is. Oh, this authority of the definition of justice can only come from the Lord because he is the only one who is just, as we saw in our, in our study questions. So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at four points. And the, the four points are just going to spell out that word, just. We're going to see how just our Lord is. The J in just stands for judge. And we see that in the first eight verses of that chapter we read. We see how the Lord um, allowed Paul to have this testimony as Saul. But even beginning in verse 1, the context is that he is standing before Pharisees and Sadducees, this group of Sanhedrin, and he is ready to defend his case. Paul was aware that even though he was standing facing the judgment of men, his life was in the hands of the most righteous judge. He wasn't afraid of man, even though, you know, they were holding his sentence um, he knew that his life had already been judged by Jesus. He knew that he had already been cleansed and that now he had the opportunity to walk in righteousness. I once heard it shared uh, the three things required for justice to be pronounced from a judge. So there are three characteristics in order for absolute justice to truly and actually take place. The first one is that the judge must have a full understanding of the truth. The judge must have a full understanding of the truth. Not just one side of the story, right? Not just one witness saying one thing that happened, but a full understanding of the truth if justice is truly to take place. The second thing is that the judge herself or himself must be of impeccable moral character. So not only does this judge have to have a full understanding of the truth, but there must also be a moral character that will not be bribed or swayed. This even works with being too um, 
swayed to feel bad, to pity, like, oh, this poor person did something wrong because no, like you have to have that full understanding of the truth and you can't be swayed in one direction or another, having impeccable moral character. And the third thing for justice to truly take place is that the judge must have full authority to carry out the necessary consequences, good or bad. The results of his judgment have to be backed up by authority to make sure those consequences are carried out. Doesn't it feel sometimes like we have those first two down, but man, the Lord keeps us on that third one. We're not able to uh, carry out the consequences we think should be right, which maybe takes us back that we're not as solid in the first two points as we think we are when we see things that are wrong or things that need to be addressed. But ladies, based on that description, we realize that God is the only righteous judge, right? He's the only one that has a full understanding of truth. He's the only one whose character is immutable and will never change and is always good and is always pure. And he's the only one with the full authority to carry out judgments. 2 Timothy 4.8 reminds us of this truth that Paul held on dearly, not just here as he's defending himself in the book of Acts, but 2 Timothy, uh, many scholars believe, is the last epistle that Paul wrote. So now he's coming to the end of his life. And he tells us in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What a gorgeous promise we find in scripture that if you love his appearing, there is stored up for us the crown of righteousness. And this crown of righteousness will be bestowed upon us by the only true righteous judge. Ladies, how can we know that we are allowing God to be the true judge of our life? Well, do you love his appearing? Do you get excited about coming to church? Do you long for those morning times where you could spend in his word and hear his heart? Are you looking forward to his return, his appearing? I know my heart stirs when I see the signs of the times or I hear of another prophecy being fulfilled or another element falling into place, uh, preparing the groundwork for his second coming. And I pray that we would be those who love his appearing because we know he's good. We know he is just. The U in our outline tonight stands for undone. Undone. Paul, when he was faced with our righteous judge, was undone. We see that in verses 9 through 11. This great light appears before Paul, or actually at the time Saul, and he's blinded. He falls to the ground he even says, who are you, Lord, proclaiming who Jesus is? What shall I do, Lord, knowing that he had to surrender to him? It reminds me of an Old Testament account where a prophet was also undone by the presence of God. It's in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Um, it's towards the middle of your Bible, Let's go ahead and turn there. I think we have time to read it. It's just such an amazing description of what happens when we are in the presence of a righteous God. Isaiah chapter 6, 
We'll start in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. In verse 5, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. Oh, to spend time in the presence of the Lord will reveal our sin and we will be undone. Are we spending time in his presence? Right? We, do we love his appearing? Are we spending time in his presence? It is only there that we could be freed from our sin, even as the prophet Isaiah was. It is only there that we can be freed from the things that keep us from ministering to others. Isaiah wasn't ready to go out and be sent to the Lord until he had this moment in God's presence where he was undone. It is there in God's presence where we are freed sometimes from just a lack of priorities, right? Freed from distractions that are keeping us from keeping the main thing the main thing. Ladies, run there. Run to that presence of the Lord. If you're overwhelmed, maybe you're sad. Maybe it's frustration at all the injustice that's taking place in the world. Spend time in his presence. Allow first and foremost the God of justice to allow you to be undone. And then what? Well, it takes us to the next part of our outline. Serve him. Serve him. That was the result that Isaiah faced when he was in the presence of the Lord of the just one. It's the same thing that happened to Saul when he was convicted of his sin. He said, what shall I do, Lord? Serve him. We see um, in the next few verses back in Acts, we can go again to chapter 22. Picking up where we left off in verse 17. It says, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. He had this vision and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. 
Here Paul was receiving his orders from the Lord to be sent to the Gentiles. And ladies, each of us have orders from the Lord and we're being sent somewhere. Maybe it's in our own homes to our family members, right? Maybe it's in our workplace to certain co-workers. Maybe it's in our schools. Whatever area you're in, the Lord is sending you there to speak, to serve him. Maybe it's here at church. Maybe the Lord has been stirring your heart to get involved, to sign up to be part of a ministry. Maybe it's the ministry of prayer. The Lord has been putting on your heart maybe different missionaries or different aspects of our nation that just need to be covered in prayer. We know that's where the battle is truly won. Paul didn't allow the sins of his past to be his identity. Even as he remembered um, how shamefully he stood by when Stephen was being martyred and he was consenting to his death. Instead, he committed himself to serve the Lord. It was interesting that Stephen's um, death was referenced in these verses because where we see that title, The Just One, where, where Ananias is speaking to Paul and saying, the Lord is going to show you the just one, the first time we actually see it in the New Testament is when Paul is given that beautiful survey of the Old Testament. He gives this amazing teaching in Acts chapter 7. You could just jot down Acts 7 verse 52. And Stephen is saying this just moments before he will be martyred for his faith. Acts 7 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. It reminds me of um, our last study where Peter mentioned that they had killed the prince of life. And here Stephen is reminding them, you guys treated the just one unjustly. The prophets of old were killed and persecuted for just speaking of his coming. And sure enough, you treated the just one unjustly. Ladies, how much more are we to serve him knowing all that we deserved? That our just treatment is to be sent to hell in eternity apart from him. And even though his sacrifice, just so much mercy, paid for our entrance to heaven, we do not deserve one good thing on this earth. Not one blessing is ours to be entitled to. All of that is just his grace. I wonder if when, when Paul's sight was being restored and Ananias mentions Christ's title as the just one, if it took him back to that teaching where he was standing by holding the clothes of those that were going to stone him. He didn't allow that conviction to say, oh, I'm so unworthy. I'll never be able to do anything for God's kingdom. No, he turned around and he knew all the more that even though, as he writes in his other epistles, he felt as though he was the chief of all sinners, that he was going to serve the Lord with all his heart. And that's my encouragement to all of us tonight. May we serve the Lord with all of our heart and with all the time that we have left. Because there isn't much. There isn't much time left. 
The T in our outline tonight for the word just is trust. It's so difficult um, seeing all the injustices that happen in the world. It's so difficult when the world is trying to redefine this and undefine that and throw in this or that where God's word is so clear and how we need to have our confidence fully ensured in the God of the word and the word of our God. In Acts 22, we wish that this amazing testimony of Paul would end with everyone being convicted and repenting, right? These are Pharisees. They knew the law. They knew these prophets. They knew Isaiah. They knew these truths of God being the righteous one. And yet we see in verse 22 their reaction. And they listened to him until this word, until he mentioned the Gentiles, until he equated the sins of Israel the same as the sins of everyone else in the world. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Verse 23, Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. Justice was not served that day in Paul's case. And what was he to do? We would have expected Paul to have been delivered from his accusers. Yet, this didn't catch Paul by surprise. He knew that he would face trials and persecutions for his Lord. And we know that this is going to be the case for us too, right? Isn't that what First and Second Peter were exhorting us? That we are going to suffer for righteousness' sake. So what do we do when? Not if, but when the world is unjust because the world has no other way to be. The world has no other way to be but unjust. I remember uh, last summer when that was such a buzzword, right? Oppression and injustice. And I remember in my heart thinking, what a distraction. The media was focusing on a form of injustice when there were so many other more pressing actual examples of oppression, actual examples of injustice. Like you think of abortion, right? What can be more unfair than that? You think of um, we, were, we were sharing it in, in the group that I was able to visit, like human trafficking and child abuse. And you think of husbands who are unfaithful. And you think of so many situations where it just makes no sense. What do we do? And during that season last summer, I found myself in my devotionals in the book of James. And I am so thankful for this book in scripture because few epistles talk as much about what to do for the poor and what to do for the oppressed than James. And I found so much comfort and solace in knowing how righteous our God is. So I'm just going to mention a few verses you could jot down. But again, if maybe this is something that, that has really been um, a pain in your heart recently, and maybe just trying to make sense of like, okay, warriors 
for justice and like what what all this looks like and what we're really called to do as believers not just being swayed by what the world tells us we need to believe i encourage you to spend some time in the book of james one of the verses that really comforted me during this time is chapter 1 verse 20 james 1 20 it says for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god the wrath of man does not cannot will not produce the righteousness of God and I thought hmm that's so interesting because I saw a lot of groups in a lot of situations and a lot of activities that can only be described as the wrath of man and yet here they are trying to produce quote-unquote righteousness so that was like comforting to know like okay my discernment meter went off for a reason right Another verse um, in chapter 2, verses 9 and 13 say, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And I thought this is interesting, too, because Paul is addressing the church. He's, he's speaking to you. He's saying if you're showing partiality. He's not saying don't worry about partiality other people are showing, right? We can't produce righteousness in others. We have to worry about what the Lord is convicting us about. What partiality am I showing? And verse 13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I thought, hmm, all these people, quote unquote, fighting for oppression, are not speaking of forgiveness, are not speaking of mercy. And these are the things that truly set people free. Be weary of organizations and movements and teachings that show someone who is oppressed to not forgive. No, no, no. You hold on to that bitterness and let that power you, um, which is really the opposite. It's like further oppressing them. It reminds me of this movie. I, I referenced it the other day uh, with someone. We were joking about it. Um, there's a scene where it's a cartoon movie, and this bad guy comes, and he's looking for someone, and instead he's like surprised because it's a little kid in a room, and he's had like this tough day, and he got hit by a baseball, and he has a bruised eye, and he's like, everyone just tells me to let it go, but you know, the baseball team laughed at me. I guess they're right, and the bad guy stops, and he does this speech, and he says, no, they're gonna tell you to let it go, but you need to hold on to that bitterness and that rage and let it fuel all your decisions, and it was just this like awkward thing of like, wow, that's the worst advice ever, and yet that's what these movements are saying. They're saying, hold on to that bitterness and that rage and let it fuel all of your decisions, and again, mercy triumphs over judgment, so if you really wanna see people empowered, like, let's speak about forgiveness. Let's speak about mercy. Let's speak about moving on from these things. Sorry, my sidetracked movie uh, quote for the night. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, tell us what true justice looks like, what true wisdom is. James 3, 13 through 18, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. I remember thinking of how much pride and entitlement was found last summer in all the aspects of the justice, quote unquote, that they were seeking. 
But no, these works should be done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Verse 15 of James 3. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. I'm like, wow, I didn't realize James had the headlines from summer 2021. Um, but the wisdom, right, contrast, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. Ladies, buy their fruits you will know them, follow the money. The money that's being poured into these organizations, is it actually helping anyone? Without partiality and without hypocrisy. And I love this. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A lot of the things that were being fought for were not peace. That's not what they were seeking. They were seeking uprising and violence, right? And here's the conclusion of the matter, James 4, 17. James 4, 17, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So maybe there's a ministry that the Lord has put on your heart to support, either through prayer or through finances. Maybe you know of a family, a situation. I think of the, the Operation Christmas Child. If there's something that you know that it is good and you haven't done it, to you it is sin. Right? It's not our job to go around and tell other people, if you're not doing this, this is sin to you. Don't worry about that. There's enough good for you to do and for you to be about. Trust God's unchanging character. He is the just one. I think of the hymn, there is no shadow of turning with thee. The just one, ladies, there's just one. There's just one just one, yet he desires that we share in his righteousness. Oh, one of the things early on in my walk in the Lord when I started taking ownership of my devotional time, when I started taking ownership of my relationship with the Lord, one of the things I did was do a study through the traits of God and just really getting to know him, maybe the way you would a friend, right? And this, again, as we, we started off with, is one of his character traits. It's who he is, is justice. His return is coming so soon. The just one will have the last word. Do not lose heart. Strong's Concordance tells us of this word in the New Testament for the just one. It says, preeminently of him whose way of thinking, feeling, and acting is wholly conformed to the will of God and who therefore needs no rectification in heart or life. In this sense, Christ alone can be called the just one. And yet what's interesting about that word, it's the same word often used for deacon. It's the same word often used for ministers of God's word. Ladies, the Lord doesn't tell us, be eternal as I am eternal, right? He doesn't tell us, be omnipresent as I am omnipresent, or be all-knowing as I am all-knowing. 
but he does tell us be holy as I am holy. He welcomes us to share in that character trait with him. Would you let him do that in your heart? Would you let him convict you of those things that the just one had to judge on the cross? Spurgeon's evening devotional today um, from his morning and evening was based on Isaiah 33, 16. It says, he will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given to him. His water will be sure. I just wanted to share this because maybe some of you are having trouble trusting God with a certain situation, a certain prodigal, a certain heartbreak, and it's become difficult to forgive. It's become difficult to obey. It's become difficult to, to hold on to the Lord's promises. But I believe this is his word for us tonight. Do you doubt, O oh Christian? Do you doubt as to whether God will fulfill his promise? Shall the fortress of the rock be carried away by storm? Oh, shall the storehouse of heaven fail? Do you think that your heavenly Father, though he knoweth that you have need of food and raiment, clothing, yet will forget you? When not a sparrow falls to the ground without your Father, and the very hairs of your head are all numbered, Will you mistrust and doubt him? Perhaps your affliction will continue upon you till you dare to trust your God, and then it shall end. Full many there be who have been tried and sore vexed till at last they have been driven in sheer desperation to exercise faith in God. And at the moment of their faith has been the instance of their deliverance. They have seen whether God would keep his promise. Oh, I pray you, doubt him no longer. Please not Satan, nor vex yourself by indulging any more those hard thoughts of God. Think it not a light matter to doubt Jehovah. Remember, it is a sin, and not a little sin either, but the highest degree criminal. The angels never doubted him, nor the devils either. We alone, out of all the beings that God has fashioned, dishonor him by unbelief and tarnish his honor by mistrust. Shame upon us for this. Our God does not deserve to be so basely suspected. In our past life, we have proved him to be true and faithful to his word. And with so many instances of his love and of his kindness as we have received, and are daily receiving at his hand, it is base and inexcusable that we suffer a doubt to sojourn within our heart. May we henceforth wage constant war against doubts of our God enemies to our peace and to his honor, and with an unstaggering faith believe that what he has promised, he will also perform. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Lord, we love you so much. I thank you for that reminder in the beginning of our study, God, that only our unbelief can constrain your will, Lord, can restrain it from happening, from taking place in our lives, God. Forgive us for unbelief. 
I pray, Lord, that we would be those vessels through which your perfect will is accomplished, Lord. We pray for salvation for our friends, our family. We ask, Lord, that you would restore us. We know that you're coming again, Lord. Help us to be ready, that we would have our oil lamps filled, and that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, God. I pray you would encourage each and every one of my sisters. Thank you so much that they made it here tonight or that they're listening to this teaching, Lord. We need you, and we ask again that you would work on our behalf, that your justice would truly reign. And Lord, we look forward to that day where every valley would be exalted and every hill would be made low. God, we know you're going to make the rough places smooth, Lord. And we desire to walk in your ways until then. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen, ladies. We'll see you December 14th for our Christmas event and much sooner. God bless.